0: Hi, everyone. This is Whitney and Hani. We're both Duke Classic Surgery residents here on the Resident Review podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing in our quick Kit series, lower extremity reconstruction. As with all of our kit series, we're going to start with a brief overview, or I guess in this case, not so a brief overview of the anatomy of the lower extremity. So in general, when we talk about the leg, we compartmentalize the anatomy into compartments that are separated by fascia. Uh, So we're going to start with the thigh and then move down to the lower leg. So in the thigh, there are three major compartments, the anterior, the medial and the posterior. For each of these compartments, I'm going to be going over the muscles, the nerves and the vasculature that run within the compartment. So, within the thigh, there's obviously, we're going to start with the anterior compartment. The muscles in the anterior compartment include the vastus lateralis, rectus femoris, vastus medialis, vastus intermedius, and the sartorius. The nerve that runs within this compartment is the femoral nerve, and the SFA and profunda are both within the anterior compartment. Uh, Next, moving on to the medial compartment, this includes the muscles of the gastroc, the adductor magnus, the adductor longus, and the adductor brevis, and the obturator nerve. Uh, Moving on to the posterior compartment of the thigh, Uh, This includes the semi-tendinous, semi-membranous, and biceps femoris, and the sciatic nerve runs within this compartment. In general, um, we do not get tested as frequently on the thigh compartments, but more importantly, we do get tested on the compartments of the lower extremity or the lower leg. Um, There are four major compartments in the lower leg. These include the anterior, lateral, superficial, and deep posterior compartments. So again, I'm going to be going through each compartment, uh, including the muscles, nerves, and vasculature that run within that compartment. For the anterior compartment, this includes the muscles of the tibialis anterior, extensor hallucis longus, extensor digitorum longus, and the peroneus tertius. The deep peroneal nerve runs within this compartment as well as the anterior tibial artery. Uh, The lateral compartment includes the peroneus longus and brevis muscles, and the superficial peroneal nerve runs within this compartment. Moving on to the posterior part of the leg, uh, the superficial posterior compartment includes the gastroc, the soleus, and the plantaris and the sterile nerve, which is a sensory-only nerve, runs within this compartment. Finally, the deep posterior compartment includes the flexor hallucis longus, flexor digitorum longus, tibialis posterior, and the popliteus. The posterior tibial nerve or the tibial nerve runs within this uh, compartment, and the posterior tibial artery also runs within this compartment. Of uh, note, the uh, perineal artery, which is a third artery that supplies the foot, lives within the transverse intermuscular septum, which is covered by the soleus proximally and the FHL distally.
1: Okay. So going on to the vasculature, um, there are three major vessels that we've already talked about that supply the ankle and the foot, but it's important to reemphasize this. Um, There's the anterior tibial artery, posterior tibial artery, and the peroneal artery. Now, prior to performing a lower extremity reconstruction, it is essential to know the status of these three vessels for preoperative planning. Um, And there are many ways to assess perfusion to the foot. You can use ankle brachial indexes or toe brachial indexes, Um, and these are used to assess perfusion. So for the toe, more than 0.7 is normal for the ankle, um, less than 0.9 is indicative of peripheral arterial disease. Less than 0.7 is indicative that there will be wound healing problems postoperatively and less than 0.5 is rest pain. Another means of assessing perfusion of the foot is a CTA. Now, this provides a good assessment of the status of the vessels preoperative or after reduction and fixation of fractures by orthopedics. And then finally, there's also an angiogram, which is the most invasive. This is done in the angio suite or the OR and requires direct intubation of the vessels and assessment of flow in real time. So moving on to key landmarks for access to the vessels. For the posterior tibial artery between the medial malleolus and the Achilles tendon, for the anterior tibial artery, it's between the tip ant and the EHL. Uh, for the peroneal, it's in between, it's in the transverse intramuscular septum behind the fibula and often covered completely by the FHL. And then finally, a shout out to the greater saphenous vein um, it is medial to the medial male and often right next to the EHL. Moving on to innervation. So for the common perineal nerve, um, it lies between the biceps femoris and the gastrocnemius and courses around the fibular neck. Um, it splits into branches, which include the superficial peroneal that innervates the lateral compartment, provides lateral sensation, uh, lateral leg sensation, and innervates the peroneus longus and brevis, leading to foot eversion. And the other branch is the deep peroneal, and this innervates the anterior compartment. Again, just to review the anterior com- compartment, there's a tip and EHL, um, extensor digitorum longus, extensor digitorum brevis, and peroneus. And it also provides sensations to the first web space um, of the foot. Now, in regards to compression, this is the most common area of compression in the lower leg and the fibular head. It's so the common perineal is often compressed um, when there are knee dislocations. So, moving on to our next nerve, the posterior tibial nerve, um, it lies in the posterior compartment between the FHL and the FDL and runs with the posterior tibial artery. Um, it innervates um, in regards to muscles: the gastroc, the soleus, the plantaris, the popliteus. Um, so the FDL, T P, FHL, um, and finally also leads to medial and lateral plantar nerves, which are important for plantar flexion. It also gives sensation to the plantar foot. So going on to the branches, there's the medial plantar nerve. And the motor component of this nerve goes to the adductor hallucis, the flexor digitorum brevis, the flexor, and the flexor hallucis brevis, and then sensations to the medial foot. And then the lateral plantar nerve innervates the adductor hallucis and the flexor digiti minimi. Next, we have the sural nerve. It lies in the midline between the two heads of the gastrocnemius in the mid leg, And in the ankle, it lies one to two centimeters posterior to the lateral malleolus. Um, it provides sensation to the lateral foot. And of note, it is often harvested as a nerve graft given its superficial position and that it is purely a sensory nerve. And then just a brief shout out to the thigh nerves. The femoral nerve provides innervation to the anterior compartment and the obturator nerve provides innervation to the adductors and cutaneous sensation of the middle thigh.
0: Uh, thanks for that review of the vessels and the nerves. Um, these are really important when we're thinking about injuries to the lower extremity and um, available reconstruction options for the lower extremity. So moving on to injuries to the lower extremity, one of the first things that we do need to review is the injury scoring system uh, for lower extremity traumas. The most commonly cited injury scoring system is the Gustilo classification um, this is a classification system that rates the, your injury level. Uh, so a classification level one is generally related to a clean wound with a, a small wound. So clean injury, small wound, uh, class two is a contaminated wound, uh, that measures between one and 10 centimeters with moderate soft tissue damage. A three a wound is a contaminated wound that is greater than 10 centimeters, um, with extensive combination of the bone with periosteal stripping. 3B is a contaminated wound greater than 10 centimeters with extensive combination of the bone with periosteal stripping, requiring free flap or rotational flap reconstruction for coverage of the soft tissue defect. And 3C requires a vascular repair because there's injury to one of the uh, three main vessels going to the foot. So, of note, when, um, on the test, they're asking questions about the gastillo classification need for vascular repair or soft tissue coverage, um, upgrades the leveling to a 3B for soft tissue coverage or 3C for vascular reconstruction, regardless of what the underlying bony deficit is, or otherwise the soft tissue injury is. So if you have someone with a minor soft tissue injury, minor, um, bony defect, but does need vascular reconstruction, that's automatically a 3C type injury. Moving on to compartment syndrome, this is something that we are oftentimes tested on. Uh, The definition of compartment syndrome is a compartment pressure greater than 30 millimeters of mercury, or a difference between compartment pressures and diastolic pressures of uh, 20 to 30. This leads to um, the treatment of of compartment syndrome is a fasciotomy automatically. So if you suspect compartment syndrome in the lower extremity, the answer to the question is going to be fasciotomy. Um, just of note, and something to remember, uh, presentation of compartment syndrome is clinical. And the remember the three P or five P's um, when diagnosing compartment syndrome. And these include pain, pallor, paresthesias, pulselessness, and paralysis. Um, in terms of other things that we need to think about, um, generally orthopedics is leading this, but we do need to be aware of antibiotic guidelines for lower extremity fractures. So for grade one and two open fractures, meaning grade one, one or two gastillo um, classification fractures, we use a first generation cephalosporin such as cefazolin. Uh, this is given within three hours of the initial injury and should be continued for 24 hours after the initial injury. For grade three or higher open fractures, um, you add an aminoglycoside in addition to a first-generation cephalosporin. Again, this should be given within three hours of the initial injury, and antibiotics should be continued for 48 to 72 hours after the initial injury, but not more than 24 hours after room closure. Further, if a fracture is at risk of contamination with a clostridium species, such as in a farm related injury, penicillin should be added to the antibiotic regimen.
1: So in regards to bony reconstruction, um, the main consideration is kind of the size of the bony gaps. So for less than six centimeters, um, you can use non-vascularized cancellous bone graft or limb shortening. Um, Bone shortening more than 10 centimeters results in an abnormal gait, so you tend to avoid that. Um, For more than six centimeters, you can use distraction. It's called the Ilazarov technique. You can use a free osteoputaneous flap or you can use a masklight technique. Then for more than ten centimeters, you can use a free flap plus allograft, also called the Capana technique, or distraction osteogenesis one millimeters. A day starting seven days after the injury, which usually takes a year. So just kind of going back to the masculine technique. So for this, you use an antibiotic spacer with staged bone grafting for treatment of bony defects. And then the Capana technique, you use the free vascularized fibula graft with uh, sorry, free vascularized fibula with bone allograft for segmental reconstruction of the lower extremity. And this is used frequently after sarcoma or a section because you leave a massive gap in that kind of surgery. Um for vascular reconstruction patient presents with a cold leg, Um, a temporary shunt should be placed followed by bony stabilization and then vascular repair. If you have more than a 5.5 centimeter defect, you can use something called interposition vein grafting. And again, if this is a very clean wound, you can consider putting a prosthetic graft in. For nerve reconstruction, um, once again, distance is really important. Um, So you should do primary repair if possible for nerve reconstruction. Um, but often you can't, so if there's a less three centimeters, less than three centimeter gap, um, you can consider a conduit. If it's three to 11 centimeters, consider a cable graft. Uh, an autologous is preferred with epineurial repair. And then if it's more than 12 centimeters, unfortunately, no recovery is expected. Um, and I've if a nerve undergoes significant crush injury, then you have to wait three weeks and perform an EMG and then three months as well. In general, you have to wait for the nerve to regenerate. And this takes months basically. So moving on in regards to soft tissue infections and osteomyelitis, so for heavily contaminated wounds, um, you've probably seen this and done this a lot, <laughs> uh, but generally the recommendation is serial debridements prior to soft tissue reconstruction. And then and specifically to osteomyelitis, MRI is the best imaging uh, modality to diagnose osteo. And, um, Osteo needs bony debridement for acute osteo if soft tissue coverage is being considered. And finally, for amputations. Now, these are always in the conversation when discussing traumatic injuries, so lower extremity. But specifically, let's talk about contraindications for lower extremity replantation. And that includes crush as the mechanism of injury, ischemia time over eight hours, multiple level injury, poor baseline health, which is a vague term, but it's something to consider and also advanced patient age
0: going on from amputations, you know, if a patient comes in and they are considering limb um, salvage after a major traumatic injury, um, there are some general reconstructive principles that we do need to keep in mind. Again, we always bring amputation into the conversation because obviously our um, bailout, if our reconstruction doesn't work, would be amputation for these patients. However, thinking of reconstruction, um, we first think about timing. So in patients that are presenting with an acute trauma, the ideal timing for soft tissue coverage and reconstruction would be within uh, 72 hours of their initial injury. Alternatively, you can delay their reconstruction for up to three months. Uh, This is because the data uh, shows that those reconstructions performed between 72 hours and 90 days have the worst outcomes in terms of flap failure and overall reconstructive failure. This data, however, um, came out prior to the widespread use of wound back therapy. And therefore, the data on this may be different given our newer wound technologies. Additionally, if you have someone coming to you in clinic that does have a long standing wound, this should be biopsied first to roll out a marjolin's ulcer, which is a like cancerous conversion of a long standing wound. As far as reconstruction of the lower extremity, there are some kind of basic guidelines that we follow um, in terms of what we use to reconstruct the lower extremity. So for the upper third of the lower leg, in general we can use a local flap for reconstruction. The middle third of the lower leg, it really kind of depends on whether it's proximal, the injury is proximal or distal, but generally you have to use a free flap versus a local flap. And then for lower third of the um, lower leg, in general, this is a a free flap based reconstruction. And in general there are not a ton of good uh, local flap options in this situation. Uh, Moving on to just a very brief overview of some of the lower extremity flaps that we can use for reconstruction, Um, starting at the thigh level and moving down, we have the sartorius flap. Um, This is a type four uh, flap with segmental perforators off of the SFA. Its origin and insertion are the ASIS and the anterior medial uh, tibia, and its uses are generally for groin coverage as a local uh, pedicled flap. Next is the gracilis flap. This can either be a pedicled flap or a free flap. Um, it's arterial supply comes off the MFCA, off the profunda. The nerve is the obturator nerve, um, and you can include this in your flap, especially if you're taking a free flap to make it an innervated free flap. Um, this can be used for uh, things like facial reanimation or um, for upper extremity reconstruction after um, things like a Volkman's contracture. In terms of the markings um, for the gracilis flap, you mark the axis of the muscle, which is about two to three centimeters posterior to the adductor longus tendon, which you generally can palpate in the operating room. Um, The medial femoral circumflex artery enters the flap about eight to 10 centimeters distal to the ischium and just something to keep in mind when you're doing the dissection. As we said, it can be used as a local flap for groin reconstruction, vaginal reconstruction, or perineal reconstruction, or as a free flap um, for facial reanimation or use in upper extremity reconstruction, or obviously other tissue coverage. Uh, Moving on to basically the workhorse of the thigh flaps. This is the ALT. Um, This is a fasciocutaneous flap. It's uh, arterial supplies based off the descending branch of the lateral circumflex femoral artery, um, you can make it a neurotized flap with the lateral femoral cutaneous uh, nerve, although we very rarely do this. In terms of the marking for the markings for the ALT, you mark along the line from the ASIS to the lateral patella, uh, which closely follows the septum between the vastus lateralis and the rectus femoris from which the perforators for the ALT are generally located. In general, um, most of the perforators for the ALT flap are within a three centimeter circle at the midpoint of this line um and the underlying muscle is the vastus lateralis and can be taken as part of this flap in terms of other thigh flaps we can also use a uh, or take a posterior thigh flap this is based off of the inferior gluteal artery it's a fasciocutaneous cutaneous flap um that is oftentimes used as an advancement flap for coverage of um sacral decubitus
1: ulcers So moving on to the lower leg, let's talk about the gastrocnemius flap. Um, The arterial supply is from the lateral and medial sural arteries. The innervation is from the tibial nerve. And then in regards to the markings, um, you usually make your incision or markings along the median raffae of the gastrocnemius muscle. And so this is a great flap to use in medial upper third leg defects. The medial muscle is generally used because it's longer and does not risk injury to the perineal nerve. Although... Recently, I did see a lateral gastroc flap, but anyway, the medial gastroc is more commonly used for two reasons. It has a larger muscle belly and therefore can generally get more proximal reach. And as I just mentioned, you don't, you don't have a risk of injury to the nerve. Um, Moving on to the stoleus muscle flap. So the arterial supply is a little bit kind of Different. Um, for the ante- 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 antegrade arterial supply, there's the popliteal artery, and then for retrograde supply, there's the posterior tibial artery or perennial artery. Now you can use this um, for proximal defects and you know, for middle third defects. Um, and then you can also do a distally based soleus flap for distal third defects. Moving on to the reverse sural artery flap, um, the arterial supply is off of the peroneal artery perforators or the superficial sural artery. The nerve is the sural nerve. And then in regards to marking, the flap is marked along the posterior aspect of the lower leg. The pivot point is five centimeters proximal to the lateral malleolus. And the fascial flap should extend beyond the skin paddle and should be about seven centimeters. The sural nerve and lesser saphenous vein run in the midline between the two heads of the gastroc and are ligated approximately and should be included into the flap. Now the common issue with this flap specifically is venous congestion um, and you treat it with leeches. Just a quick side note on leeches, they work because they secrete hyrodin into the wound, which is a natural anticoagulant. And while treating with le- leeches, patients should be on Bactrim or Cipro to prevent leech-associated bacterial infections. Um, the most common bug that leeches carry is *Aeromonas*. And then just kind of quickly returning back to the flap, you can also do something called the delayed reverse flap based on dividing the proximal lesser saphenous vein. And this is just once again to help with venous congestion. Finally, the medial plantar artery flap. So the arterial um, arterial basis for this flap is a medial plantar, which is off of the posterior tibial artery and lies between the flexor halysis um, and the abductor halysis. Um, the nerve is the medial plantar nerve, and this is a reliably sensate flap of glabrous skin for coverage of the plantar, cal- uh, of plantar calcaneus.
0: Um, finally, after all the flaps that we can harvest from the leg for reconstruction of the leg itself and other areas around the body, um, there are also some bony flaps that we can harvest from the leg. Um, the two most commonly harvested bony flaps are the free fibular flap and the medial femoral condyle flap. So the free fibular flap is, uh, based off of the perineal artery perforators. Um, you can take this as a, uh, bone only flap or as an osteocutaneous flap. Um, the markings for the free fib, um you mark along the um, lateral portion of the leg, leaving at least five centimeters from the fibular head and five to six centimeters um, proximal from the lateral malleolus. Uh, this is in order to protect the common perineal nerve proximally and to maintain stability of the ankle distally. Um, Of note, the majority of the skin perforators are on the distal part of this line between um, your fibular head to your lateral malleolus, and they come through the posterior intermuscular septum. Uh, The free fib is a great flap for uh, reconstruction throughout the body and can be used for reconstruction of long bones and the mandible. Following the free fibular flap, you can also harvest the medial femoral condyle flap from the lower extremity. Um, the arterial supply to this flap is based on the descending genicular artery, which is a branch of the SFA. It can provide both a bone only and a osteocutaneous flap and common uses of this are first skephoid non-union and tailor non-unions. Um, so thank you for joining us for this brief run through of lower extremity injuries and lower extremity reconstruction. And hopefully we will have you tune in for one of our following episodes. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.